Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. I invite you to turn with me to Paul's epistle to the Galatians chapter 3, and we'll begin reading at verse 28 until chapter 4, verse 7. Let us hear the word of God. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, does not differ at all from a slave, though he is master of all, but is under guardians and stewards until the time appointed by the Father. Even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. This ends the reading of the Holy Word of God. May the Lord bless and apply his word to our hearts. Dear friends, last week we began our study of the final section of the Heidelberg Catechism dealing with the subject of prayer. We considered three things. We considered, first of all, why we must pray. And the Catechism gives two reasons for this. First of all, because prayer is the chief part of thankfulness which God requires of us. But secondly, because God will give his grace and Holy Spirit to those only who with sincere desires continually ask them of him and are thankful for them. Secondly, we learned how we must pray. Prayer must be directed to the one true God who has revealed himself in his word. Prayer must also proceed from a knowledge of our need and misery. And prayer must be offered in faith. We must be fully persuaded that God, notwithstanding that we are unworthy of it, will, for the sake of Christ our Lord, certainly hear our prayer as he has promised us in his word. And thirdly and finally, we learned in this Lord's Day what we must pray for. Our catechism tells us we must pray only for those things that God has commanded us to ask of him in his word, namely all things necessary for soul and body. Well, today we begin a study of the Lord's Prayer. Now, why the Lord's Prayer? Well, because the Lord's Prayer is the model prayer for believers. It is the prayer on which every prayer should be patterned. In his book on the Lord's Prayer, the Puritan preacher and theologian Thomas Watson writes this, and I quote, The Ten Commandments are the rule of our life. The Apostles' Creed is the sum of our faith. And the Lord's Prayer is the pattern of our prayer. As God prescribed Moses a pattern of the tabernacle, so Christ has here prescribed us a pattern 
of prayer. You notice how Watson refers to the Lord's Prayer as a pattern. The Lord's Prayer was never meant to be recited word for word, although there's certainly nothing wrong with that. Instead, it was meant to provide us with a pattern. It was meant to teach us in broad terms what we should pray for and in what order we should pray for these things. Now, this is clear from the words of our Lord himself. You may remember in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 6, just before giving them the Lord's Prayer, Jesus said to his disciples, in this manner, therefore, pray. He didn't say using these words, but in this manner. In other words, Jesus was saying that when you pray, you need to follow this pattern. Now, what is this pattern? Well, when you study the Lord's Prayer carefully, you can see that it can be divided into three parts. First of all, there is an address, our Father in heaven. And then there are six petitions. The first three petitions relate to God, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The last three petitions relate to us. Give us this day our daily bread, forgive us our debts, and lead us not into temptation. And then thirdly, this prayer has a closing, for yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now our prayers should more or less follow this pattern. And to be sure, of course, there is still a place for so-called spontaneous prayers, brief prayers that are offered in the spur of the moment, like in times of sudden distress. Even a sigh or a moan or a cry can be a true prayer before God. But generally speaking, our prayers, at least our regular prayers, should follow the pattern set in the Lord's Prayer. Now, with that in mind and God's help, let's begin our study of this wonderful prayer. We begin with the address, our Father who is in heaven. And we'll consider this in light of Lord's Day 46 of the Heidelberg Catechism. So the theme for the sermon today is our Father in heaven, the address of the Lord's Prayer. We'll consider, first of all, the wonder it contains, secondly, the reverence it produces, and thirdly, the confidence it instills. Jesus teaches us to pray to God the Father. Now, this is significant. Our Lord could have instructed the disciples to address God by any number of names. He could have, he could have instructed them to address God as mighty God, as majestic Lord, as great creator or righteous judge, but he didn't do so. Instead, he instructed them to address him as Father. Now, the reference here, of course, is to the first person of the Holy Trinity. The Trinity consists of three so-called persons, the Father, who is the first person, the Son, who is the second person, and the Holy Spirit, who is the third person. Now, the Father is called the first person of the Trinity, not because he is greater than the other two, for all three persons are co-equal, co-eternal, and co-essential. But because, as we confess in another one of the Reformed Confessions, the Belgic Confession, in Article 8, we say this because he is the source, origin, and beginning of all things visible and invisible. And as such, prayer is properly directed to him. Now this is not to say, however, that the Son and the Holy Spirit are bypassed in the prayers of believers, not at all. For though the Father is the one to whom we should address our prayers, the Son is the mediator of our prayers. 
And it's in His name that we must pray, and it's only on the basis of His finished work and mediatorial intercession that our prayers can be answered by God. Furthermore, the Holy Spirit is the author of our prayers. He is the one who prompts us to pray and who gives us the words to speak in prayer. He is also the one who applies the grace that we must ask for in prayer. One of the great expositors of the Heidelberg Catechism during the so-called Second Reformation in the Netherlands, a man by the name of Theodorus van der Groe, put it like this, and I quote, Believers are fully in need of the triune God in all their prayers. One God, the Father, out of and from whom grace must proceed. One God, the Son, who must secure and make available this grace from the Father. And one God, the Holy Spirit, who must transmit the grace of the Father and the Son to believers and work it within their souls. Therefore, though believers end in God the Father in their prayers, they go to him through the Son, and by the Holy Spirit they come to the Son and are united to him. Now significantly, however, our Lord teaches us to address the Father, not simply as Father, but as our Father. And by inserting that word our, Jesus is reminding us that the Father is not just the Father of his Son, he is also the Father of his people. Now this is clear from the passage of Scripture that we read together, Galatians 4, particularly in verses 4 to 6. There the Apostle Paul writes, and I quote, When the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Abba, Father. Now, Abba is the Aramaic word for father. It's the word that Jewish children in the first century AD would have used when speaking to or about their fathers. Now, there's no exact equivalent for this in English. The word is less formal than father, but more formal than dad or daddy. But it does convey the idea of familiarity, of intimacy, and love. Perhaps the best alternative is dear father or dearest father. But the point is, we may address God as Abba, Father. And you'll notice that it is the Spirit who cries out, Abba, Father. The Spirit takes up his abode in our hearts, and while he is there, he cries out, Abba, Father. Why? So that we might learn to cry out, Abba, Father, as well kind of reminds us, doesn't it, of a parent trying to teach his child to talk. When a parent tries to teach his child to talk, he holds his face in his hands so that he has his undivided attention, and then he proceeds to pronounce the word that he wants the child to say very slowly, very deliberately, and very carefully. And the child tries his best to pronounce the word. And after repeating it a few times, he is able to speak his first word. Well, this is the task of the Holy Spirit. He, too, teaches the child of God to address God as Abba, Father. He cries it out, Paul says, so that we will not miss it. Now, needless to say, this is a great wonder. Why? Because by nature, we are enemies of God. We hate him, and we want to have nothing whatsoever to do with him. We are children of the devil, doing the works of the devil, living in perpetual hatred and enmity against God. And as such, we deserve his eternal wrath and condemnation. And yet Jesus says, when you pray to God, I want you to address him as our Father. You say, how is that possible? Given the fact 
what we are by nature. How can we, enemies of God, address him as our Father? Well, it's only in Christ. And this too is expressed by the Apostle Paul in the scripture passage that we read. You'll notice how Paul in these verses speaks of the purpose of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. It was to redeem those who were under the law. All of us are born under the law. And that means we are under its obligations and its penalties. We are required to keep the law of God perfectly. And if we don't, we must die. Now the problem is, none of us can keep the law of God. We're sinners. We're predisposed to hate God and our neighbor. But listen, but we, what we could not do, Christ did. Like us, he was born under the law, meaning he placed himself under the obligations of the law, fulfilling them to the letter. What is more, he bore the penalty of the law by suffering all his life long, but especially on the tree of the cross. And in so doing, he redeemed those who were under the law. In other words, he set them free from the penalty and the curse of the law. Why? So that they might receive the adoption as sons. And as the sons of God, we may come to God as his children, and we may address him as Abba, Father. So it's only through Christ that we can address God as Father. So the Lord's Prayer, the address of the Lord's Prayer, contains a great wonder. But it also produces great reverence. And we turn to that under our second point. We've seen that in the address of the Lord's Prayer, our Lord teaches us to address God as Father. That's a term of deep personal intimacy. Now, why did he do this? Well, the Heidelberg Catechism furnishes us with a wonderful answer to that very question in question and answer 120. There the question is asked, why has Christ commanded us to address God thus, our Father? Now, you notice the wording of this question. Christ does not merely suggest that we address God as Father. Our Catechism says he commands that we do so. Now, at first glance, that might seem rather strong language. We could well understand if our catechism had said that Christ permits or allows us to call God Father. And that's because to address God as Father is the greatest of privileges. Not even the angels may address God as Father. But we who are believers must do so. Why? Well, the answer that's given in the catechism is this, and I quote, that immediately in the very beginning of our prayer, he, that is God, might excite in us a childlike reverence for God. Well, what is this? What is this childlike reverence? Childlike reverence is something between intimacy and awe. Children should be intimate with their parents, especially when they are very young. They should be able to laugh with them and play with them and be affectionate with them. But they should not become so familiar that there's no longer any respect. For example, it would not be right if children spoke to and treated their parents as they spoke to or treated their friends at school or on the street. There must be a respectful distance between parents and children, even when they are older. And so it should be between the believer and God. A child of God should not be so familiar with God that he brings him down to our level. 
And sadly, that is precisely what is often done in the church of Christ today. Nor should he be so in awe of God that he lives in constant fear and dread of him. The relationship that a child of God has to God should be something in between these two extremes. It should be one of childlike reverence. Now this is reinforced by the fact that Jesus teaches us to pray our Father in heaven. And we're reminded by those last words, in heaven, that God does not dwell on earth. Instead, he dwells on his holy throne in heaven, in the very dwelling place of God. Yes, God is present everywhere. He is omnipresent, but he is properly said to dwell specifically in heaven, which is far above the earth. Now, why does our Lord teach us to pray this? Why our Father who is in heaven? Again, the Heidelberg Catechism provides a wonderful answer to that question in question and answer 121, and I quote, lest we should form any earthly conceptions of God's heavenly majesty. In other words, our Lord adds this phrase in heaven in order to prevent us from pulling God down to our level. Now, that's a real danger today. The trend today is to so emphasize the imminence of God that we neglect or even forget about the transcendence of God. And you hear the evidence of this and how people pray and how they talk about God. They, they use expressions and they even tell jokes that make it appear as though God was just another one of our buddies. And this is wrong. Whenever we speak to or about God, we must do so with the utmost reverence and respect. He may be our Father, but He is our Father in heaven. Again, Theodorus Vandergrew, whom I quoted earlier, says this. He says, There is nothing more inappropriate and God-dishonoring than to have earthly and carnal thoughts of the Most High God. And you know, God himself says as much. In Psalm 50, verse 21, God is quoted as saying to his people, you thought that I was altogether like you, but I will rebuke you and set them in order before your eyes. God despises those who try to bring him down to their level and promises to rebuke them and to accuse them in his wrath. Oh, let us remember that. Let us never develop low or earthly thoughts of God. He is much greater than we can possibly imagine. He is the holy God, the righteous God, the transcendent God. Yes, He is our Father, but He will always remain our Father who is in heaven. And so the address of the Lord's Prayer produces within us great reverence. But thirdly, it instills great confidence. And that brings us to our final point. We've seen that by commanding us to address God as Father, our Lord was seeking to excite in us a childlike reverence for God. But there's another reason as well. It is to instill within us a childlike trust or confidence in God. Now this is expressed at the end of question and answer 120. There we confess that one of the reasons why our Lord teaches us to address God as Father in prayer is in order to excite in us 
a confidence or a trust in God such that we may believe that he will much less deny us what we ask of him in true faith than our parents will refuse us earthly things. Now this is just echoing the teaching of the Lord Jesus in Matthew 7, verses 7 and 8. There Jesus says to his disciples, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. You'll notice, ask, and it will be given. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened. There's no doubt about it. What we ask, according to his will, will be given. And to reinforce this, Jesus gives the following illustration. It comes in verses 9 through 11. He says, Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? You see what Jesus is doing here? He's using an argument from the lesser to the greater. Just as our earthly fathers will not refuse us anything, how much more will our Father in heaven not refuse us anything? Now, does that mean if we ask for a new car or a new house or a million dollars or to be healed of cancer or some other disease that, that God's going to do that? Not at all. Why not? Well, at least two reasons. First of all, because it may not be good for us. As painful as some of the things are that happen to us in this life, they're sent to us by God, and they're meant for our good in some way that we don't always understand. But it may also not be, it also may not be God's will. It doesn't mean that what we ask for is in accordance, we, whatever we ask for must be in accordance with God's will. And he certainly will give it to us so long as we ask of that in faith. And what is more, he has the power to do so. He's not only willing to give us what we need, but he's also able. This is another reason why Jesus teaches us to pray our Father in heaven. He does so not only, as the Catechism says, so that we might not form any earthly conception of God's heavenly majesty, but also that we may expect from his almighty power all things necessary for soul and body. In other words, the fact that God is in heaven means he is able to do whatever we ask of him. Why? Because heaven is a place of power. In fact, it is the place of the greatest power. When the child of God prays to his Father in heaven, he summons, as it were, all the power of heaven to come to his aid. And therefore, he may rest assured that nothing is impossible for God. He can do anything. Now, what a comfort that is, child of God. Let me ask you, are you undergoing a heavy trial today? Are you bearing a heavy burden and simply do not know which way to turn? Are you facing difficulties in your married life, in your work life, in your spiritual life? Take it to the Lord. He knows all of your needs and concerns, and He is the only one who has the power to do anything about it, for He is your Father in heaven. And as such, He is not only able, but also willing. He is able to help you and to give you what you need for Christ's sake, His beloved Son. And He is most willing. Our Father who is in heaven. With these simple words, our Lord introduces the Lord's Prayer. We've seen that this address contains a great wonder, 
It produces great reverence and instills great confidence. Now let me ask you as I close, can you pray this part of the Lord's Prayer? Is God your Father by faith in Jesus Christ? Oh, make no mistake, my friend, God is not the Father of everyone. To be sure, the Scriptures do speak of God as the Father of all men by virtue of the fact that He created all men. But He is ultimately only the Father of those who believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's because, as we've seen, it's only by faith in Christ that we can be adopted as members of His family. Outside of Christ, God cannot be your Father. He is only your righteous judge. And unless you repent and believe the gospel, he will condemn you to everlasting perdition in hell. And that means only believers can truly pray the Lord's Prayer. And only believers can address God truly as Father. And so if you're not a believer today, I urge you not to take this name upon your lips. Someone once said that if you are not saved, as often as you say our Father, so often are you lying before God who hates and will damn all liars. Since that is so, I urge you, repent, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. The only way we can have God as our Father is if we have Christ as our Savior. But if by God's grace He is your Father, then make sure you show that in your life. Live as His child, hating and forsaking sin in all of its forms and pursuing after righteousness and holiness show him reverence trust in him keep his commandments and do his holy will the late dr j.i packer once wrote this he said if you want to judge how well a person understands christianity find out how much he makes of the thought of being god's child and having god as his father if this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught us summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Well, Dr. Packer was right on target. Everything depends on the fatherhood of God, and therefore we must pray our Father who art in heaven. Can you pray this too? Amen. Dear friends, it's our great joy and privilege to be able to preach to you the word of God every Sunday on this station. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Won't you please take the time to write us a short note to let us know that you're listening to this broadcast. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road. Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N. And that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. When you write, please indicate the call letters of this station. And if you take the time to write, we'll gladly send you free of charge a copy of the Heidelberg Catechism on which this series of sermons is based. Please note that we do not send out CDs of our radio messages. However, you can access and download all of our messages at any time from our website at www.banneroftruthradio.com. Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. 
For more information about our churches, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org. Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 Mount Lehman Road, Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the donation section of our webpage. Our webpage, again, is banneroftruthradio.com. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.